God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on MyBridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from City Light Church in Lincoln. Here's Pastor Austin Edwards. In chapter 13, two big things happen. Number one, the disciples find out that Jesus is going to go somewhere and they can't follow him directly after. So there's going to be some time where Jesus goes somewhere and says, you can't follow me. So there's going to be a gap between that. And they're dismayed by that. The second big thing that happens is Peter goes, no, 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 Jesus, you don't understand. Like, I'll go anywhere with you. There's nowhere you would go that I wouldn't follow you, even to death. And Jesus goes, actually, you're going to deny me. And um, so Peter, this rock, this cornerstone, this legend, finds him himself in a position where he thinks he's great and Jesus goes, you're going to fall. And so Jesus knows the disciples' hearts are trembling. They're kind of rattled. They're a little bit worried and all this stuff is going on. And you might ask the question, well, why? Why would they be rattled by those things? Well, one, they've been following Jesus and now they're going to have a gap between him. There's going to be some space where he goes and we can't follow. So what's it going to be like to live without Jesus right in front of us? And, and it's like you're taking that into modern day today. What's it look like to walk with Jesus? And he's in heaven. We're here right now. And the second thing is like, oh my gosh, Peter is going to deny Jesus. Peter's this confident spokesperson legend. And if he crumbles, what does that say for the rest of us? So they're afraid. They're troubled. And Jesus comes into this space in verse 1, and he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. He understands that they're worried and rattled. So there are two questions. And it's like, if we're making this connect with today, number one, they're asking, what are we going to do when we're here and you're there? And number two, what are you going to do about our failure and our denial, right? What are you going to feel about all that? And he goes, don't, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be worried. And I love how he finishes verse one. He doesn't say, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'll be back tomorrow or I'll be back next week or I'll be back soon. And he doesn't say, don't let your hearts be troubled. You're going to get better. You're going to not deny me as much anymore. You're going you're gonna to figure things out. He doesn't say anything about behavior. He goes right to what? Belief. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Verse one, believe in God, believe also in me. And so there's two things that he's going to tell us to believe, these things he's calling us to. Uh, number one is he's saying, when I'm gone to the place that you can't follow me to, I need you to believe that I'm preparing a room for you. That's the first thing he's going to tell us. The second thing he says, so when I'm gone, you need to believe I'm preparing a room for you. The second thing is when you blow it, I need you to believe I've paved a way for you. Okay, those two things are what Jesus is saying. When I'm gone, I'm preparing a room for you. When you blow it, I've paved a way for you. So let's start, we'll look at verses two and three and look at this room Jesus says he's preparing for us. Two and three. In my father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also." So Jesus is preparing a room for us. Now, when we're reading the Bible, one of the first most important questions for us to ask is what did this mean to them then? Because when we read this, we, it's, we're 2,000 years removed from these words. So if we automatically put our modern day context on these thoughts, we're gonna get it wrong most of the time. And so it's like, hey, what did this mean to them? How would they have heard it back 2,000 years ago? That's the question, right? And this language of going in your father's house and preparing a room for you, all of that 
would have struck a really vivid picture for the disciples. So back in Jewish culture, 2,000 years ago, what would happen is once a man and a woman got engaged, if he proposed and she said yes, he would go and he would work on his father's house to add a room to his father's house, add a little subsection to it, right? So that's what happened in the whole engagement. So him and his dad, they're working together, they're doing their thing. And then when the dad's like, yep, the room's all good, then you would go and you would go get your bride and you would get married and you have a place to now bring her back to, a home that you guys can have. So this multifamily um, picture, right? Or in, in a multifamily home picture. And so that's what would happen in this in time. And in the same time, while the groom... Uh, the fiance or whatever, and the dad are working on the house. What's the bride doing? She's making herself ready. She's at, at, at where she's living. She's work. She's working. Uh, she's prepping herself. She's waiting for that day. She can't wait. And she's looking every day. When's he going to come? When's he going to take me back home? When's he going to come to this thing? And you start to see the parallels, right? This connection between the two uh, things. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the working groom. And that makes you the waiting bride right? I'm working. I'm preparing a room for you. That's what the picture they're going to see. And right now you're the waiting bride and you're waiting for me to come back and take you to the room that I've been working on in my father's house. But it's so different than today, right? Because if we get engaged, if you get engaged, first thing, like, you know, when marriage is approaching, you're going, where are we going to live once we get married? Download Zillow, look for a house, look for apartments, something like that. Where are we going to live? And this time it was totally different context. That's what it would have meant to them then. And these are the words that he's preparing a room Uh, for us in heaven. Um, These are the words we need for our troubled, worried hearts. And so I want to point out five things about this room. You ready for them? Number one, Jesus is personally preparing this room for you. Verse two, he says, if um, in my father's house are many rooms, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? I was in Florida uh, last month um, with... um, all the City Light pastors. So it's uh, pastors from uh, all the City Light churches, 15 or 16. Jeff is with us, Josh with us. We're all cruising. We're all hanging out, doing our thing. Um, and um, as we're there, we rent a couple different houses. There's like 30 pastors. We rent a couple houses and we all kind of scatter around and we're, we're in the different houses. And so this is my eighth annual pastor's trip. So I'm kind of like a veteran at this. And there's one lesson. There's only one thing you need to know about these trips. You want to get there early to snag the best room. Okay, because it's a free for all and there's no like, hey, you you planted this one or you planted it. It's just like whoever gets the room first, you throw your hat in there, you throw a jacket down, you go to the bathroom and don't flush. I don't know something, but it's like I'm marking my territory. This is my room, you know, and they're like, okay, but you're looking for the master suite, right? That's uh, that's kind of the idea. And so um, we fly in late. We go to the rental car place, and it's one of those ones because it was a cheaper one. We it's off site, so you're like take a little thing to it. And I'm looking at my watch. I'm going, man, I'm gonna I'm not gonna get the best room. And we're going, and so we get to the house. We scramble around. We're trying to see what's going on. What's going on? And uh, this is the room that I, I got on the pastor trip this year, my eighth one. So it was a tough day for me. Uh, the smile is is a lie. It's smiling through pain. Um, so, so anyways, that's, that's it. Um, but it's like, I just want you to know, like, there won't be a scramble in eternity for the best room. There won't. Like, you don't get in and go, man, what, where, where, where are we going to go? Where I, I got to find the best room and there's going to be bad rooms or something. No, it's, he's preparing a room personally for you. And unless you like mermaids, it's not going to be the mermaid bunk room. Okay. Like, that's not it. And so here's how I picture what might happen when, when we get to eternity. Um, we breathe our last breath. And maybe 
Um, it's sudden, maybe it's slow, maybe it's in our 90s, maybe it's tragically in our 40s, I don't know. But whenever we breathe our last breath and, um, and, and, and we die. And, and I think that for Christians, this shouldn't be a scary thing to us, death. It's like, I, I heard a story of a pastor that would go and do hospital visits. And when he would go visit the people, like moments from death, he would whisper these words, I go to prepare a place for you. And he said he could see the visible boldness that would strike their souls to embrace death and go, oh, bring, I get to see the place Jesus has been preparing me. Let's go. I'm excited. I'm ready, you know? And, and so it's like for Christians, we don't need to like be afraid of death. This is something that's just beautiful. So we breathe our last breath uh, and we die and we enter into glory like right away. We're, we're right in there. We stand before the holy throne of God with all his majesty and might and splendor. And, and we're standing there to be judged. And if you were to ask us, hey, why should I let you in uh, to my kingdom? The only appropriate thing for us to do would be to point to Jesus and say, he did for me what I could never do for myself. That's all, that's all you got. You don't, here, I got my resume I worked on. He'd be like, done. You know, like this is, no, like that doesn't work. Like the old hymn says, I have no other argument. I need no other plea. It's enough that Jesus died and he died for me. That's our confidence. And so as uh, we're going, hey, he's my confidence. I can almost put Jesus standing in front of us, the father looking, seeing his son's righteousness over us and with his son's scarred hands and feet and side and all that. And he goes, well done. Welcome home. Come on in. Like that's, that's what's gonna probably happen in this thing of like, we're just trusting he's done. And then I can picture Jesus going, hey, I gotta show you something. I've been working on something special for you. Let's go, I gotta show you it. And he's taken us to this room that he's been preparing. And again, I have no idea what this room is gonna be like, but I know that it's personal. I know he's making it for you and he's making it for me. So maybe in mine, I've got an upright piano and a little guitar in there or pictures of all the adventures or probably a little box. And every time I open it, there's a De Leon's burrito in it and I can grab it. And the other box is Chick-fil-A and it's like, you know that, and a one wheel, and I'm with all my friends, like a great view, all of it, right? But the point is that it's a personal room for you. You don't have to scramble. You don't have to try and find the best room. You won't get the worst room. It doesn't, it's like he's prepared it personally and intimately for you. But as sweet as that room may be, obviously the room isn't the point, right? The room itself isn't the best part or anything that would be in it. So second thing I want to point out in verse three is the point of the room is it will be with him. Verse three, he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and I'll take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So the best part of the room, the point of it is that we'll be with him. I'll take you to myself. Where I am, you'll be also. This is the best part of the room he's preparing for us. Revelation 21, uh, fairly common chapter verse in it, um, but it talks about what eternity will be like. And oftentimes what we equate or we love about eternity is what won't be there. Verse four says, there's no tears. In eternity, there's no mourning, there's no sadness, there's no sickness, there's no death, all that stuff. But the best part of heaven isn't what won't be there, it's what will be there or who will be there, and it's God, right? Verse four says, God himself will be there with them as their God. Listen, the point of that room is it will be with him. And I just have to ask you, what makes a house a home? What makes a house a home? Undeniably, objectively, we would all say, we wouldn't, none of us, none of us would be like, ah, oh, the sectional or the big island or the farmhouse decor, or the view off the back, or all these. No, 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 we say the people. People are what make a house into a home. And it's the same thing with eternity. Like, it, no, I, would, I would live in a crammed in one bedroom apartment with all my family rather than a mansion alone, right? And it, we'd all say the same thing. And it's like, what makes heaven a home? What makes eternity matter? It's, it's, the, it's the people, more specifically, it's God, that we're with him in his presence completely. 
It's like, I don't think when we're in the new heavens and the new earth that we'll be like, wow, these streets of gold are so awesome. We're gonna be like, oh my God. Jesus, you're amazing. I, I can't believe I get to look at you face to face and we get to sing to him and, and worship him. And like the best part of eternity is that Jesus is there, right? Not that we don't die or we can whatever, all these things. Jesus, that's the best part. Let's just say, I'm taking you to myself. That's it. And we, and we get to be there together, Right? like with every tribe and every tongue and every language from people, thousands of different ethnicities and nations all represented will all be around this throne. And Jesus had purchased all of us by his blood singing. That's why church is so significant being in this room together because we're getting a glimpse into like what heaven would probably be like. Different people, different struggles, different ages, different skin colors, all the different even languages and going, this is so beautiful to be like, this is probably what it's going to be like. But the point is we're with Jesus and we get to be uh, as a cherry on top with each other. That's what it turns is like the best part of it. That's the second thing. The room's about, the best part is being with Jesus. The third thing about this room is it's made to be waited for. So I just have to ask, are you excited? Like Jesus is saying, hey, they're troubled because they're kind of getting in the weeds of all this stuff and they're, they're dismayed and they're looking around. He's going, look ahead, anticipate what will be that day. And of all the things Jesus could be doing in heaven right now, guess what he's doing? Preparing a room for you. It's gonna be incredible being with him. We can spend the rest of our lives trying to understand what eternity will be like, and we just will come up short until we actually experience it. It's unfathomably beautiful. And this, this earth is amazing, is it not? Like I love exploring and, and, and waterfalls and sunsets and, and the ocean and the mountains and good food and good drinks. Like this is amazing. But listen, track with me on this logic. If this world, as amazing as it is, is what God is letting his enemies inhabit, how much greater do you think will be the place where only his children stay? right? And so it's like, this is, it's going to be incomprehensible. I mean, try to imagine explaining a sunset to someone who's blind. You, you could have the best, most eloquent words, and they just won't understand it unless they see it. Or your favorite song to someone who's deaf, they won't understand it unless they can hear it. And it's like, we might have five senses here on earth, you know, taste and smell and sight and all this stuff, but we might have 50 in heaven. And it's like, we get to experience everything we're experiencing here infinitely better, all of it. But again, the point is that we'll be in the full presence of God, unhindered by sin, untempted by Satan, finally free. And yet I have to ask, how much of our lives are consumed with making a nice little room here on earth rather than anticipating the room he's preparing for us in heaven? With all the luxuries we have here and all the pleasures and all the trinkets, like we never really say this out loud, but I think some of us are enjoying our room so much right now that we're really not looking forward to the room he's preparing then. We're hoping to get more time here to enjoy what we've made. Jesus is the working groom, remember? So what does that make us? The waiting bride. See, in Jewish culture, the bride would every day be looking, waiting. When's he gonna come? When's the trumpet gonna blast? And we're gonna do this whole thing. We're gonna go back to this place. But she was waiting. And so I have to ask, are we living like, it's okay, Jesus. It's okay, you don't have to come back. Like, I, like soon, like I've actually made a really nice room here. So take your time, do your thing. I'm enjoying myself. Or are we like, Jesus, how I long for that day when you come and make everything right, when you come and redeem us. I'll do anything I can to hasten that day. Philippians 3.20 says, our citizenship is in heaven where we await our savior, Jesus. So it's made to be waited for. Fourth thing about this room is Jesus is coming back to take you to the room he's prepared for you. So look at verse three. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I'll take you to myself that where I'm going, you may be also. So Jesus is coming back to take you to the room he's been preparing for you. Um, So here's the logic he's using. If I'm going to prepare a place, if I'm leaving, 
you better believe I'm going to come back to get you, to bring you to the place I'm working on. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm not going to work in vain. I'm not going to do all this stuff away from you and never have you experience it. I am working and you better believe I'm going to come get you and bring you back to experience and enjoy what I have made you. Listen, the good news of the gospel isn't just Jesus's life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension. It's also his return. And I'm crazy about the cross, right? But we also should be people who are crazy about him coming back to making all things new, throwing away Satan forevermore, right? Finally and victoriously inaugurating the heavens and the new earth. He's saying that this room he's preparing for us is a guarantee that he's coming back. He can't wait for us to enjoy it. Uh, Last year, Kristen and I, my wife bought a house. And um, so we've got three kids and her parents graciously took our kids for a few days so we could work on the house and get it kind of a little bit more dialed in. And so they're away, grandma, grandpa's in Aurora, they're doing their thing. And Kristen and I's main objective was like, we gotta, we gotta make the room special because it's a new house. They'd left their friends, it's all this stuff. And so we were thinking, how do I make this room special? Um, And so Kristen worked so hard on Gracie's uh, room and she painted, Gracie got to pick a color and Kristen painted the back wall pink with some whiteboard and batten. And then she put together this art desk for Gracie to do all her stuff and a little makeup vanity thing. And then right next to her bed, this bookshelf with all her favorite books. It was so special. And we were like, I can't wait for her to see it. And when Gracie saw it, she was like, oh, it makes sense why we weren't together. You were away working on this room. And we were like, yes, do you see it? We're so excited. And she was pumped and elated, but we weren't going to work on that room in vain. We wanted, we were working on it because we wanted her to experience it. And Jesus is going, you think I'm going to work on a room that you're never going to inhabit? I'm going to take you, I'm going to come and get you, and I'm going to bring you back. You better believe you're going to stay in that room someday. So Jesus isn't here physically, but he's preparing a room for us like a good groom, which guarantees he'll come back. Fifth thing about the room, potentially my favorite, is uh, in the beginning of verse two, words, the only words we haven't talked about. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. In my father's house are many rooms. Um, so there are, many, there are many rooms, right? In other words, there's enough room for everyone. There's enough room for everyone. Heaven doesn't have a no vacancy sign. Um, he never runs out of space. He's got enough square footage to invite any and everyone. So the implication is, if he's got many rooms, let's try and fill them, right? Let's, let's pack that place out. Um, a few years ago, a youth pastor from Western Nebraska somehow got my number and he called me. And they did this mission trip with the, with the high school kids where they um, would, they had a hat and it had four different pa- pieces of paper with directions like east, west, north, south, whatever. And so they'd be like, okay, you know, let's, let's open it up, see where God leads us. And they'd grab it and they're like, it says east. Okay, great. And they're like, we're going east, you know, it's great. And they'd grab another hat and it would be like 50 miles, 100 miles, 150 miles, whatever. So they're like, what, how far are we going east? And it was like 150 miles. So they end up in Lincoln, Nebraska with my phone number. Never met him, never heard of him. Hey, Austin, we're here. God led us here. That's awesome, man. Praise God. What can I do for you? Uh, we're wondering if we could stay at your house. Uh, and I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. And uh, I hadn't told Kristen yet. So just marriage tip. Don't do that. Uh, we're still working through it. Cost us a lot in counseling. I'm kidding. No, no, but uh, she was gracious. But, um, but I was like, hey, Kristen, guess what? What? What's going on? Um, what are you making for dinner? Oh, enchiladas. Uh, you need to add about 40 of those onto the, <laughs> yeah, like more. There's about 20 or some high school students that are coming. They haven't figured out deodorant yet, but they're going to come. Where are they going to stay? I'm not sure, but we're going to pack them in the house, right? But the idea was we've got the space. Why would we not pack it out? Why would we not have them all stay and spread out? And it was, it was awesome. It was amazing. And so the idea is, what he's saying is like, you, you don't ever have to worry about him not being able to make room for someone else. Your, maybe your parents 
could be your kids in the prodigal season, could be your siblings. I just want them to know Jesus. He's got room for you too. Could be um, your coworkers, could be other family members, could be your neighbors. It's like, oh, he, Jesus is like, oh, my father's got room for them too. Trust me. So if you're anything like me, you're probably going, I want that room. That room sounds awesome. Like this, this is amazing. And you're probably wondering, what do I have to do for it? Right? I have to reserve it. I have to pay some heavy price. Like, what do I have to do? What's the catch to this great room that Jesus is preparing? And that's where the other verses come in with even better news. Verses three, or verses four and five and six. He says, Jesus says, you know the way to where I'm going, the way to, to this room. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So not only is Jesus preparing a room for us, but Jesus has paved a way for us. I want you to notice in verse six, Jesus doesn't say, I am a way, or a truth, or a life. He says, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. So it's this idea of being inclusively exclusive. So I want to draw that out. Jesus right here, what he says, is inclusively exclusive. Why is it inclusive? Well, because anyone's invited um, uh, to come to Jesus. He said he came to seek and save the lost. He came to save the rebels, those of us who just can't get our lives together. And he came to save the rule followers, those who pretend like their life is together, but you're tired and you know it's not. He came for both. The religious leaders of the day called Jesus a friend of sinners. Like he's just, he's just around all the riffraff. That's who he is. This way of Jesus, this truth of Jesus, this life from Jesus is entirely inclusive to anyone all types of people, all types of sin, all types of struggles, he would say, come. He's inviting anyone and everyone who would humbly bow to him and admit, I can't be saved and I trust you for salvation. That's inclusive, but it's also exclusive, isn't it? He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. No one. He is the way, the truth, the life, only one way. It's a bone chilling phrase. So listen, not a single person in all of history, no matter how good they are or how much they've helped people, will end up in eternity apart from belief in Jesus. He's the only way. That's exclusive. See, there's a belief called uh, Unitarianism. And the basic idea is that all roads lead to God. And so they would affirm that Jesus is a way to God for sure, but so is Buddhism or Islam or other pursuits of higher spiritual power. And so if a genuine pursuit of God is present, then eventually they will lead to God. And to be honest, this would be pretty nice. Like in an ideal world, I wouldn't be mad at that. 80% of the world is religious. And so it's like, well, that means that they're all searching for God in some way and they'll all find him and we'll all be in heaven together. That sounds awesome, right? We should all want that in some regard. If Unitarianism is true, that means most of the world will end up in heaven. But Jesus takes this ideal view of Unitarianism and he sledgehammers it. That's false. It's a heresy. It's a lie from hell. There's only one way to God and it's through Jesus. That means that the two billion followers of Islam, worshipers of Allah informed by the Quran, unfortunately are traveling down a way that doesn't lead to God, but leads to death. It's a lie. That means that the 1 billion followers of Hinduism and the 500 million followers of Buddhism are deceived into a lie. Karma is fake. Reincarnation isn't real. Buddha is a fraud. They're literally worshiping false gods. And that should mess us up inside. Like that should do something to us. That should make us uh, drawn to tears and desperation and wonder and go, I want to do something about that. If there are billions of people deceived thinking that they have found a way to God and it's not, I want to do something and say, Jesus is the only way. 
And you don't have to do anything for him. You don't have to get good enough or whatever. It's just, it's who he is. You can just come as yourself. Don't need to clean yourself up, pull yourself by, by your bootstrap. You don't do anything at all. All the other religions and philosophies, the whole key idea is do. Do this, do that. Stop doing this, start doing that. Stop this, whatever it is. And Jesus is like, stop it. You can't make your way to me. It's impossible. I've watched billions try and they've all failed. The only way is through Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection and doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. Stop it. You can't make your way up the moral mountain. I came down for you. That's the good news. That's why it's good news. And that makes every other news bad news. You can't make it. It's not do, it's done. It isn't try, it's trust. That's the gospel. What Jesus is saying when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, is that every other way is a lie and it leads to death. So I just want you to picture all of humanity, the 8 billion people that are alive today, and we're all at the start of a maze. You know, there's this huge corn maze or something. It's, just, it's massive. And, and, and it's got all these different entry points, just like an unbelievable amount of places you can start. But only one of them leads to life, right? And Jesus is claiming exclusively, that's me. The only way that would lead to eternal life, that's me. And you can't see the end. It's faith. You just have to trust. Okay, I'm going to go down. It's right. But he's saying, it's me. It's always been me. It'll never not be me. You want the father? Jesus says, I'm the way to him. You want the truth? Jesus is saying, that's me alone. You want life? I can offer it. I stared death in the face and kicked its teeth out. That's Jesus. And so there are many ways that we can try to get to God. And listen, if trying is in the equation of you going to God, it doesn't lead to him. And all the other ways, they're not just religions, it's religion in general. The idea of religion in general, of trying to pave your own way to God. I'm shocked at how many people, and especially people who call themselves Christians, don't understand this. Like I'll, even people in our church will be talking to them and they're, and they're like, it seems like there's some pseudo kind of gospel, a little bit of Jesus, like 95% him and 5% me and it's faith and it's works and it's my church attendance and it's some of my prayers and at least maybe that's it too. And I'm going, what are you talking about? If, you're, if, if, the, if the route that you're choosing, the entry point you're choosing in this maze has anything to do with you, it says some of Jesus, or whatever, but trying hard, praying hard, going to church, giving enough, being enough, whatever, I promise you that road leads to hell. Jesus is going, you want the way to life? It's just that simple. It's just me. Belief that I did for you what you could never do for yourself. That's what he says. In John 14, 6, it doesn't matter if you slap a Christian sticker on it. See, so many people think that Jesus is a good teacher or an admirable historical figure or a good person. And I'm just saying, that's not true. You can't say that because of John 14, 6. You can't simply say, I don't really believe in Jesus as God, but I do think he's a good person. Or I think he's, you know, good, admirable. What? C.S. Lewis argued that you can only uh, identify Jesus as a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Uh, one option is that maybe he is a pathological liar, considering John 14, 6. Uh, he tricked thousands of people to believe that he is God while he lived here on earth, and he said that he's the only way to God. But if he knew he wasn't, then that would make him a pathological liar trying to build a cult around himself, okay? Or the other option is maybe he's a lunatic, like maybe he actually is convinced that he's God, but if he's not, he's crazy and should be put in a mental institute. And, and it's like, you, if someone's like, someone you work with is like, hey, I want to let you know you guys are eating your sandwiches at lunch. And, um, and he's like, yeah, uh, I, want you, I want you to know I'm God. You're not like, wow, I think you're a really good person. 
I think I want to put you up for employee of the month this month. You know, you're like, I'm calling HR and I, well, I'm scared, okay? We don't do that. And yet it's like, yeah, Jesus, man, he's such a good guy. What? He's either a liar or he's a lunatic if, or he's Lord. He actually is who he says he is, and he actually is the only way to God. And that would make him not a liar. That'd make him God, the only way to the Father, right now preparing a room for you and I in eternity. That's, that's it. But you cannot reduce him to a good teacher. You can't. You cannot reduce him to a good person. He's either a liar, or he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. And so I have to ask you, who do you say Jesus is? Is he the way? Is he the truth? Is he the life to you personally? Which, which way are you going to go? And I just want to say, man, maybe there's just people, I'm sure dozens of people in the room that are like, more than that, that are like, man, I'm down a path and I don't think it's the path of this only way of Jesus. It's kind of a mixed religion thing. I kind of believe in God, but I'm kind of hoping that I'm good enough and I'm tilting the scales or maybe it's a different religion completely. And you're like, no, I think this is the way or whatever. And I'm just pleading with you that Jesus would run you down in that maze and go, you're mine. And he would pick you up and maybe you're kicking and screaming. And he brings you back to the start and goes, this is the way. And he just pushes you into it, you know, by his grace. Because the only way, it's like, we're just kicking and streaming. He's going, man, I promise this is it. This is the only way. And even today, the spirit would just prompt your heart to go, man, I just think this is true. I just think this is real. Not an emotional decision, not even an intellectual decision, but a spiritual decision that only God could bring in me, opening my blind eyes to see his truth, sparking my dead heart to a life in Jesus. And you would just go, I give, I give up and I give in. And I, and I'm, and I, I want the way of Jesus. And I'm not good enough, I couldn't, I could, but I'll trust that he was good enough for me. He would really literally bring you into his family right now, today, by faith. I, I don't know what it looks like, but I want to be a part of this family. And maybe, maybe some of you guys are down the road, and you're like, I think I entered through Jesus, but man, I'm stumbling along the way, and I'm just going, if he, Philippians 1, 6, if he started a good work in you, if, you, if he brought you through that entry point, I promise he's going to get you to the end. So don't worry, if you're facing Jesus, like you might be stumbled along the way, so am I. And yet he'll get you, you might feel like you're lost or wandering, he'll get you to the end. Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Austin Edwards from City Light Lincoln. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.